Hello, Crime Storians, and welcome back to another episode of a Crime Story podcast. I'm your host, Kaylin Lois, and I am originally from the United States, but in 2018, I moved to France. And when I moved here, I just started hearing all of these crazy and insane crime stories. So I created a crime story podcast to tell you all about these international mysteries. I have some exciting news. I collaborated with the podcast, The Stars Made Me Do It, for a creepy sort of Halloween episode where we discuss different serial killers and their astrology. So make sure to head over to Spotify or Apple Podcast at The Stars Made Me Do It and listen to that episode. It is called The Stars Made Me Murder? So without further ado, let's just hop into today's crime story. In late 2018, I remember seeing on my personal Facebook timeline Friends of mine were just freaking out about the upswings of murders of tourists in the popular destination country of Costa Rica. People were canceling and redirecting flights and swearing off of ever going to Costa Rica. Now, my sister traveled to Costa Rica in the summer of 2018 to study abroad and only had great things to say about the country. She loved the jungles, her service projects, and how nice the locals seemed to her and her group. I honestly brushed off my Facebook friends' concerns, thinking that they were just isolated incidents. But recently, I saw an article exposing the sudden increase in homicides in Costa Rica. In fact, in just 16 days, the country witnessed 32 murders. Totally insane, especially considering that you would think due to the pandemic that peer-to-peer homicide would be down. It made me think to back to those Facebook posts in 2018, and as I looked up the articles, I wondered, were these really just isolated incidences, or was it the start of a pattern of murder? Today's crime story looks at a collection of crimes from Costa Rica in 2018 to see if we can make sense out of this situation. Thus, I present the crime story of Costa Rica's murdered We begin every crime story with a look at the country's legal system. Costa Rica has a remarkably interesting legal system, one that closely follows the civil law system and positivist Roman school of thought, but not quite. Experts classify the system as a Romano-Germanic style of law, something that I'm just unfamiliar with. But according to the CIA World Factbook, the civil law model sees crimes as an offense against the state rather than an individual. Therefore, the state assumes the role as investigator as well as judge. Positivist Roman model looks towards the natural sciences for a source of criminal intentions. It suggests that human behavior results from biological, social, psychological, and economic influences. Therefore, the Costa Rican legal system incorporates both these concepts. In practical terms, the why a person committed a crime is deeply ingrained in their legal system in which the state investigates. Costa Rica has a democratic system with a framework of a presidential democratic representative republic. It has a multi-party system which makes it very similar to the United States. Today, Costa Rica has a population of about 5 million 
people and lies between Panama and Nicaragua with the Caribbean Sea to the east and the Pacific Ocean to the west. Spanish serves as the official language, but large portions of the population speak English. Costa Rica has a rich, vibrant culture that blends indigenous heritage and Spanish colonial influence with a dash of Jamaican and Chinese and other immigrant cultures lending character and customs. Religion plays an important role in Costa Rica, with the majority of the inhabitants being Catholic. Catholicism is a state religion, but the people of Costa Rica can practice any religion they choose. Costa Rica proudly notes that no military has existed since 1949, and people take great pride in the biodiversity that exists in their land, and ecotourism has emerged as a valuable industry. Expats name Costa Rica as the best place to live, and about 3 million people visit the country each year, a third of those being from the United States of America. Notwithstanding our crime story, Costa Rica has a strong reputation for one of the safest countries, particularly for tourists. Our first crime story will look at the disappearance and murder of Thomas Jeffrey Cook, a 62-year-old Vermont native. Described as a hippie, not much information or even sources exist about this murder, but the story seems important to examine. Thomas, a retiree, looked to move to Jaco, Costa Rica. He had a relationship with Yaritzia Hurtado Palma. Although some sources indicate that the two were more like friends and she would even help him find women in Costa Rica to take back to his place, his hotel or his apartment. So you can interpret that relationship however you like. In July or perhaps August 2018, Thomas withdrew cash from the bank and planned to pay a debt to Yaritzia for either a house or an apartment. No one seems to know the last day anyone saw Thomas, but his family back in Vermont, as well as Yaritzia, reported him missing on August 23rd. Six weeks later, authorities found the body of a gagged man buried in a mass grave outside of Jaco. Wearing shorts and a shirt with his hands and feet bound, investigators determined that Thomas died two or four weeks earlier. The autopsy confirmed that the obvious that murder had occurred, but due to the condition of the body and the time it lapsed, the exact form of death could not be determined. Yaritzia may have had a fling or flattered the much older Thomas, but she also had a romantic relationship with a man who went by the last name Campos Basinia. I could not find his first name. Now, Campos belonged to a gang, allegedly. Police investigated him and his alleged gang in the relation to the sale of drugs and through investigation and other tactics conducted in t some 20 raids that caused on March 4th, 2020, the arrest of gang members for the sale of drugs as well as committing other several homicides, including the murder of Thomas Cook. Likely due to the pandemic, no further information exists, but I will certainly keep an eye out on the news and hope justice happens for Thomas Cook. The second crime story discusses the murder of Venezuelan and American national Carla Stefaniak, a 35-year-old real estate broker slash Instagram model who is living in Miami, Florida in 2018. In 2000, Carla's family moved from Venezuela to Tampa Bay, and then Carla moved later in 2012 to Miami, Florida. 
Carla's best friend, April Burton, married Carla's brother, and the two remained remarkably close. For Carla's upcoming 36th birthday, they decided to travel to Costa Rica. It's unclear if this trip was just April and Carla or if other friends joined them along as different sources say different things. Carla had an excellent time with April in Costa Rica. And she even posted on her Instagram, future resident of Costa Rica, and that she would miss the country terribly when she had to return to Florida. She was having so much fun in Costa Rica that Carla actually decided to stay an extra day to explore the capital city. Carla dropped April off at the airport in a rental car, and after saying their goodbyes, she turned in the rental car on November 27th. She then took an Uber to explore San Jose before being dropped off at her Airbnb apartment. Carla arranged for the same Uber driver to pick her up the following morning at 8.30 a.m. to take her to the airport. Carla checked into her Airbnb at the Villa Buena Vista Resort located in a suburb of San Jose. She communicated with her family via FaceTime calls and WhatsApp messages, telling April that the villa was a bit sketchy. Later that evening, a storm knocked out the power in the villa. In her last message, Carla told a friend that she was going to ask the security guard for a drink of water. That message was sent around 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. It is not known if the power went off before or after Carla sent this message. The next day on November 28th, 2018, friends and family flooded Carla's phone with happy birthday messages. Carla did not respond and her family quickly became concerned because she always had her phone by her side. Carla had checked in for her flight the previous evening, but she never boarded her plane back to Florida. Her family in Florida called the authorities and an investigation ensued in Costa Rica. Carla's father, brother, and a friend flew to Costa Rica and went to the villa that Carla stayed in to try to get answers. The security guard working at the villa that evening stated to Carla's father that he saw Carla get in a gray car with her luggage around 5 a.m. When police contacted that Uber driver that drove Carla around San Jose and she arranged to pick her up the next day to take her to the airport, he stated that he arrived at the villa at 8.30 a.m., but the villa staff stated that Carla had already left, so he left. Authorities cleared the Uber driver of any suspicion and the American FBI arrived to help assist the Costa Rican police. The FBI turned the investigation on the room that Carla stayed in and became suspicious when it appeared to be incredibly clean. Almost too clean. Someone had gone to great lengths to clean up the villa. But after luminol testing and bringing in blood sniffing dogs, it became apparent that something terrible had happened in the villa. On December 3rd, just a mere 1,000 feet from the villa, authorities found a body, which was later determined to be Carla's. Carla had sustained multiple stab wounds, was sexually assaulted, and the cause of her death was blunt force trauma to the head. A Costa Rican medical examiner noted that a stab wound on the palm of her hand indicated that she tried to defend herself from what prosecutors described as a sexually motivated attack. Days later, police arrested a Nicaraguan national named Bismarck Espinosa Martinez, 
who had come under suspicion as he told the police he saw Carla get into the gray car at 5 a.m. He was the security guard who was working that night at the villa. He was the same security guard who shook Carla's father's hand and told him about the gray car. From what I know about the case and the evidence, my assumption points that Carla went to get a drink of water from the security guard as she told her friends. When Carla found Martinez for the water, he indicated that he wanted to have sex with her, which Carla declined. Then Martinez decided to rape her. As previously noted, Carla fought back hard as Martinez raped her, I think which led to Martinez killing her which made it an incredibly bloody scene. Then he wrapped her body in plastic bags, dragged her outside where she would remain, and spent the rest of the night cleaning the villa so that the maids wouldn't suspect anything. The storm and power outage provided a cover-up for him, as likely no one would be outside to see the crime and the cover-up. Authorities found Martinez's DNA underneath Carla's nails. Opportunity, motive, and physical evidence sealed Martinez's fate, and in February 2020, a judge sentenced him to 16 years in prison. Carla's family had asked for 60 years, and members of her family sued Airbnb in federal court. The case is currently in arbitration. The final crime story in this episode looks at the disappearance of William Sean Creighton. William also went by the name Tony five times and was just Tony in his day-to-day -day life. Tony owned a sportsbook business and took bets on sports games. In the 1990s, he made about $15,000 a day and in the mid-2000s, he made over a million dollars a day. In the 1990s, the bookie business saw a revolution and many moved their businesses overseas to avoid legal problems from the American government. Tony did just that by moving to Costa Rica, where he married a Costa Rican national named Laura, and they had two children together. In September 2018, Tony left his office and headed home for the night. Police pulled him over in the town of Herdia. The police knew of Tony, he was extremely wealthy and powerful. Even though Tony kept his real name a secret, never flaunted his wealth, dressed casually, drove himself everywhere, and kept his real name off of company records in Costa Rica for anonymity. Nonetheless, the police knew him and knew that he had money and power. Reports indicate that the police had no reason to pull him over, yet they waited for him in hopes of getting some money. They were dirty cops. After the cops stopped, a pickup truck pulled up alongside of him and four men jumped out, grabbed him, and drove off. Before leaving, they crashed Tony's car into a ditch to make it look like an accident, which it didn't. <laughs> After hours of driving, Tony, now about 200 miles from the adoption site, was removed to the truck and taken into the house of an elderly lady, which was later discovered that the elderly lady turned out to be one of the kidnapper's grandmothers. At around 3 a.m., his wife, Laura, received a phone call from an unidentified number. The kidnappers wanted $5 million in ransom to release Tony, and they wanted the money via Bitcoin, which is a cryptocurrency for those who don't know. She paid the ransom, but Tony did not appear. 
The next day, she hired retired FBI agents and alerted the Costa Rican Federal Police known as the OIJ. Police found the address where Laura had ultimately transferred the Bitcoin cryptocurrency and sped off to the address. The home belonged to a 25-year-old computer engineer named Jordan Morales Vega, but when police arrived at the address, they found the home empty and later learned that Tony and Jordan had flown to Cuba. The OIJ started looking into Tony's background. In 2016, the American government had started to pay close attention to Tony Five Dimes due to a connection with laundering schemes discovered in various transactions. They found an IP address associated with Five Times, which was Tony's company, that linked to suspicious accounts on Amazon. Tony had his American citizenship rescinded because of this, which made him a target to criminals and cartels because America was no longer standing behind Tony. He didn't have the protections that an American citizen would have. On the 20th of October in 2018, reports circulated citing anonymous sources that the OIJ authorities had located Tony, aka Sean Creighton's body, in Cuba. But the OIJ did not physically see Tony's body in Cuba. They just had quote-unquote reliable information that it was, in fact, Tony. Of course, this is where the rumor started, which stated that the kidnappers had tortured him while he was in Cuba, to was Tony even still alive and just living in obscurity. Soon thereafter, Spanish authorities arrested Jordan Vega, his mother and girlfriend in Spain. Apparently, Vega had extended family in Spain, and after Cuba, he traveled to Spain to hide out. Nearly a year later, on September 5th, 2019, OIJ investigators searched a cemetery near, near a harbor in Costa Rica, and remains matched dental records of Tony's. Tony's body was found in Costa Rica. I'm just as confused as you are. The only identification of this body in Costa Rica as Tony was based solely on dental records. The Costa Rica prosecutor's office was skeptical if the body was Tony's based only on the identification through dental records and DNA testing was requested. As of this date, authorities have not released these DNA results and therefore it can't truly be verified if the body in Costa Rica is in fact Tony's. On September 15th, 2020, Tony's widow, Laura, announced that Tony's company, Five Dimes, was exiting the U.S. market, a market that it had illegally served in offshore accounts from Costa Rica for more than two decades. Customers in the USA were furious over this announcement. The dirty cops that stopped Tony received probation, and the other kidnappers received only six months in prison. In April 2019, Jordan Vega, his mother, and his girlfriend were extradited back to Costa Rica from Spain, but I found no further information about a trial or a sentence or a plea bargain in any of this case. So I'll definitely keep an eye out on it. Now, Thomas, Carla, and Tony were not the only foreigners in 2018 to experience horrible deaths and crimes in Costa Rica. 
In August of 2018, a 31-year-old Spanish woman was found strangled to death near Tortiergo National Park, and days later, a 25-year-old Mexican tourist was drowned to death at a beach in Santa Teresa. Also in the summer of 2018, a 19-year-old Canadian tourist was robbed and raped after a local tried to offer her a ride from San Jose to Puerto Viejo. A Argentinian tourist reported being a victim of a rape in Zimbabwe 2018. A Italian expat living in Costa Rica was murdered in La Sabina Park as a result of a failed robbery in mid-December of 2018. In addition to this, on, on December 31st, 2017, a domestic aircraft crashed leaving 10 American tourists dead in Costa Rica and four died in a careless rafting accident in Costa Rica in October 2018. Many others were victims of theft and robberies in different areas of the country. The brutal deaths of 2018 were a huge concern to Costa Rican authorities at the time. Security Minister Michael Soto told a media outlet in 2018, there has already been damage done to the country's image. This completes the 17th episode of the Crime Story Podcast. Now, what do you think about these three cases? Has damage been done to the image of Costa Rica from these murders and crimes? Would you yourself ever travel to Costa Rica? I would love to hear your thoughts. You can comment on a crime story Instagram at a crime story pod where I will be posting images from today's story. Or you can comment on a crime story podcast on Facebook or at a crime story pod on Twitter, as well as TikTok under the name a crime story podcast. My website is a crime story podcast.com where you can listen to the podcast as well as read a transcript of today's story underneath the blog tab or even comment and see additional photos on a crime story podcast on YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. If you could please leave a review of the podcast, it helps others find the show. Also, if you could tell a friend about a crime story, I would greatly appreciate it. Don't forget to head over to the Stars Made Me Do It podcast, either on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, to listen to their most recent episode I was featured on. It discusses the astrology of serial killers Ted Bundy, Jeffrey Dahmer, Joseph James D'Angelo, the Golden State Killer, as well as Fred and Rosemary West. And I tell their horrendous stories. I hope to see you next episode, which will be released on November 4th, where I will be covering a case from Panama. You won't want to miss it. A Crime Story is hosted, created, edited, and written by me, Kaylin Lois. Sources for today's episode can be found on my website, acrimestorypodcast.com. The artwork for this show was created by Sabrina Smith. Theme music is by Ross Budgen. Additional story editing is brought to my, my father, Mike. Thank you so much for listening to A Crime Story. And remember to stay safe at home and abroad. Thank you.